Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into consulting, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the people and change manager at KPMG, one of the top four biggest consulting firms in the world. But before I introduce you to Patrice Lindo, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that is packed with career tips, tricks, and tools to help you level up your job search and career journey. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Patrice Lindo, the People and Change Manager at KPMG. Prior to joining KPMG, Patrice worked at two of the other of the world's biggest consulting companies, Deloitte and Accenture where her client engagement ran the gamut, including industries like higher education, media and technology, retail, financial services, and health and public service. With more than 20 years in developing high-performing teams and cross-functional collaboration, Patrice is an expert in identifying how an organization can ensure its employees feel heard, and supported, whether they're working from home or whether they're back in the office post-pandemic. As a side hustle, Patrice also coaches corporate women of color to fast-track their careers by effectively navigating and leveraging the dynamic within (laughs) the white corporate space. At Career Nomad, she empowers women to release their limiting beliefs they have in order to level up their personal and professional lives. Mm -hmm. Patrice, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? And I have my coffee, so I am super duper ready. So thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. Well, likewise, what kind of coffee do you drink in the Lindo household? So can you believe it's somewhere between Nescafe and something that my husband will bring my way, which is something surprisingly percolated and caffeinated. So I don't know. It runs a gamut of we lived in the Bay Area for a while. So we drink a lot of Cuban coffee, a lot of Colombian coffee. The stronger, the better. 
Almost as stronger than better. So. You are a woman after my own heart, Patrice. Yes. And black. The bold. Yes. Bold yes. Exactly. 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 I love it black. I don't drink it with anything in it. And if I don't have it, I have a headache. So that's a little sign about the caffeine. But it. it works. It works. Sometimes I drink it black, but with a little ghee. Mmm. Yes. Keto coffee. I love it. And that really keeps you full for long and gives you tons of energy. Absolutely. Bullet coffee is the way to go for sure. Beautiful. So Patrice, there are a lot of young people out there who may think they want to get into consulting or or may not even know Mm -hmm. what consulting is. I mentioned three of the big four. Yes. You were KPMG, where you are Mm -hmm. now Deloitte and Accenture. But there are also a bunch of others. I'm just going to list some of them out here. McKinsey, mm-hmm. the Boston Consulting Group, Bain and Company, PricewaterhouseCooper, Booz yes. Allen, EY, yes, and on and on. For those listeners who aren't familiar mm-hmm. with the consulting world, I'm going to give a 10,000-foot view before we get into your bird's eye view, or maybe it's more the ant view. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Consultants work with client companies to solve specific business challenges. And consulting projects are often done in teams and can focus on a variety of areas, including Mm -hmm. strategy Mm -hmm. and technology implementations. Does that sound about right? That's a very, very fair explanation. That is absolutely correct. The team is interdisciplinary. So you hit the nail on the head from the technical to the people side, to the strategic side, to the contractual side. There's a lot of kind of irons in the fire. So you hit the nail on the head. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So your title right now at KPMG is People and Change Management or Change Manager. Correct. What does that mean? Mean, right? In in layman's terms? Yeah. So remember that multifaceted or that interdisciplinary team we just talked about? I'm on the people side of a change. So if you have a company that has, let's say, a business problem that their IT support team is not able to process requests quickly, they will decide that they want to implement a particular system, maybe something like uh, ServiceNow, for example. And ServiceNow is the machine that operationalizes, you know, these problems coming in and routed to the right people and solving the issue of the person calling in. I am on the people side of that change where we need the technical team to develop the solution, right? We actually need the people to implement that solution, meaning convert what's old or the legacy system, as they call it, to the new system. So we're all talking about now here things that we're changing. Well, there's a people side of that. For it to be sustainable, if we don't teach people how to use it, then they won't know. So we can't necessarily take the Apple phone or iPhone approach where here's your phone, here's a book to read and use it, right? Or they play around till they get it. We actually have to consider what that looks like because people have grown up with the older system. So what do they need to start? What do they need to stop? What do they need to continue doing? And so we break that down for them and anticipate what their needs are based on where the company needs to go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mentioned ServiceNow, is that a type of technology? Is that a software? Correct. ServiceNow is a type of software like you'd have ServiceNow. Workday, Oracle, Salesforce, these are the backbone, if you call it that, to the operationalization 
of change. So we're converting from pencil and paper, for example, to what the technology looks like. And so there are companies out there that have operationalized that and pitch to different organizations that we can help you do this quicker, sooner, faster if you use our system. Okay, great. Thank you. And your expertise is in organizational change management, which Mm -hmm. is, because I had to look it up, (laughs) a framework. Yes. For managing, whether it's cultural changes. Yes. Or as you just mentioned, new business procedures. Correct. In a company. Correct. Where they have to learn new behaviors, new skills. Correct. For example, with service now. Correct. You and I were chatting before we started recording and you said your focus is on the human capital. Yes. Correct. Correct. It's what is that from human resources? Yes. So please tell us what you mean by human capital. Well, what you will find is that in an organization, we have intellectual property. In other words, whatever they've created, right? Whatever that organization is known for. You also have the funding that goes with that. You know, how do we support, you know, getting your widget sold, for example. There are people if you go along with that example, that are selling that widget. There are people that are creating that widget. There are people that are documenting how to use that widget, for example. Well, in the people side of the widget selling, if we stay with that example, we have to care for those people. And so we call that human capital. I'm simplifying this to a very layman terms, but in other words, how do you care for, recruit, resource and also empower the people that are working within your organization. So that's what you call human capital. So at KPMG, for example, we have our internal customers, like people on my team. We have our external customers, which are, let's say, the IT team, and I'm on the change management team. But we also have our clients that we have to service. So we have different audiences that we have to show up for. And how do we show up for them? What are their needs? How do we assess their needs? How do we help them make the transition from current state to future state? How do we help them think through and actually enact or or embody, so to speak, that change? And so that's what I work on. How to get people to make that change in a sustainable way and clear roadblocks if there are any. Wonderful. And you said you've got different customers, whether they're internal or external. And I was shocked. I looked up how many employees KPMG has. Mm -hmm. It has a stunning 220,000 employees all over the world. Correct. And they're not the largest because at Accenture, and I'm dating myself, but this is probably circa 2018, there was nearly half a million. So KPMG is not the largest. (laughs) But yes, absolutely. We're talking about lots of people. (laughs) So what are your responsibilities right now, Patrice? It's multi-layered. So with the client, we'll start client facing. It's being able to, number one, help the client figure out what their solution looks like from the 50,000 foot level and the 2,000 foot level. 50,000 meaning business goals. How do they meet them? And what are the changes that would be required? Is it training that's required? What does that training look like? 
who's impacted by the change that's going to happen? How do they need to inform their customers if they need to? So it's a combination of training and communications. What that needs to look like, because it can be from a newsletter to maybe a two-minute Google video to a training document. What does that need to look like? And then what does the communication need to look like? Because typically the changes that are happening are phased, right? So who is our top priority? And then phasing that out and then being able to repeat that process across the different parts of the client organization. Layer one. Layer two is internally for my team. What is it that we need to create and how are they best prepared to create those things? So if we are creating, let's say, a video, do we have the licensure created to be able to create that training video so that it meets the needs of the client? So are they trained on that? If it's a job aid, are they following the pedagogical, if you call that, I'm using technical terms, but in other words, are they equipping it from a teacher perspective so that the student can learn? Because they're not all teachers, right? From the internal perspective, I also work within KPMG to help with the, what they call the employee resource groups. I've joined a few women's groups. I've joined a few parents groups and I've joined the Black Careers Matters groups. So those are things that I'm passionate about with regards to coaching and career coaching. So there's kind of three faces that I work within KPMG, the client facing one being, you know, what takes up the most of my time, I'd say about 75% of my time and the 25% is split between those last two areas. So take us into a typical day on the job for you. Now Mm -hmm. we're doing this interview. Actually, today's June 1st. Yes, yes, yes. Can't believe summer's here. So June 1st, 2021, Mm -hmm. I take it you're still working remotely. Yes, yes, we are. We are still working remotely. And my understanding is that it's at least until September of this year, at least until then, because they definitely want us to be comfortable, vaccinated if you want to. Well, you need to be vaccinated if you are going to be client facing, but definitely taking care of their human capital which is their employees, right? So they've given us that space and messaged that to the clients, which so far has not been an issue. So what is a typical day like for you working remotely? So from leadership perspective, a day in the life of, or a dialo as we call it, is basically number one, where's the client? What do they need? What's being rolled out next, right? Meaning in that we're in a phased implementation right now with one of our clients and where are we with that particular implementation? What is the state of readiness? You know, how is the testing going? The training artifacts that are being created, where are they? So checking in with the client, checking in with my team, assessing where that is and where any blocks or gaps are and being able to work through those things so that we can meet those needs. This is not a typical day, I would say, because I just got back from PTO. So you know how it is when you just get back from PTO. You're trying to kind of drink from the water hose at the same time as you're doing work. But that's typically what my day looks like. So it's basically being there for the client and my team to make sure that any blocks that they have, we've addressed them and they know how to move forward so they don't feel like they're moving rudderless. I help them to provide their rudder so they know what direction we're moving in because we have dates to hit, right? We have timelines to make sure that we are staying connected to and aligning to. So we have a master schedule. And so making sure that we'll be able to hit those dates and if not, you know, getting the message out and clearing those blocks so that they can hit those deadlines because they're usually contractual, right? And so that gets into money. So you got to make sure everything is good. So how many people on your team? Six. I have six people on my team, three on the comm side and two, well, including myself, three on the training side. 
by the comm side, you mean communication? I mean, communication, sorry. Three on the communication side and three on the training side, training and delivery. So when you were saying, for example, you may be working on some kind of a press release or yes. a news release. Yes. That would be the comm side of your team that would be working on that. And then with the training side of the team, if they needed to actually write a training manual Correct. and execute over training itself, they would be the ones doing that. Correct. Correct. Well, in this case, they're creating it, but the client is actually delivering the training. So we create the artifacts and, you know, help them to them, meaning the client, because they have what we call the model. We train the trainer. We train the client on how to deliver the training to their teams, because from a sustainable point of view, that particular client's employees doesn't know us, right? That level of loyalty isn't there with us, right? So we train up the teacher, so to speak, within the client so that they can go out with our support and deliver the trainings or changes, I should say, to their population. That's that cultural change we talked about. What type of personality do you think would thrive in this type of environment? Is it more interesting to be working with multiple clients as mm-hmm. opposed to, for example, working inside one of your client companies yes. executing. Like, how would you describe the kind of person that thrives in a consulting environment? Patricia? Yeah. The type of person that thrives, I would say, is someone that is basically an agile thinker. They can be flexible, but they can also drill down, right? They're a good nurturer because to nurture, if you think of, let's say, a garden, right? Even if you were planting one vegetable or one fruit, you probably don't just have one plant. You probably have several plants, right? If you were planting multiple vegetables, you would be having multiple plants for sure. But you can't necessarily focus on all the plants at one time. So you kind of set them up, you water them, you fertilize them, and then you go away. Let them do their thing. And you come back and you check and you assess and you have to be able to drill down where you're needed. So you almost have the sense of being almost like a farmer, right? Almost like a gardener where you can till the soil so that everybody can get what they need. But you can also focus where the focus is needed based on their season, right? Based on what their needs are. And so that's where you really thrive in consulting. Because, for example, before I had even gotten into leadership, You have different parts of the client that you have to consider beyond just training and communications. After you do their learning needs assessment or training assessment, where are the gaps, right? Once you identify those gaps, who are the impacted audiences? When you determine who those impacted audiences are, what kind of training do they respond best to based on maybe history or based on what they need to know? Are there any potential resistance to change factors that you need to take into consideration. What is the timeline? How quickly do you need to move them through? Do you have executive support to come in and support you so that you're bringing in the best practices, but they're bringing in the heavy, this has got to get done, John, you know, at our company, this is what we do type thing. So you've got to be able to respond in a way that is almost a step ahead of them, but it's a step in line with them at the same time. You have to be flexible. You have to be emotionally intelligent where you can read the client, so to speak, especially in a virtual world. You have to be able to influence without forcing and you have to be likable, relatable, right? So there's a lot of things to keep in mind and you don't want to have a -a whack-a-mole approach where they see you coming and they're like, get that girl or guy away from me. It's very much like you make fast friends, 
but you get the work done, you influence, but you don't force. You are absolutely able to drive results and speak their language in a way that you show up as more of a subject matter expert and less of an order taker. So that's why I said that there's a couple of different things. I think if you have the propensity to, to tutor and teach, but do so in a way where you're not just going by the book and these are the things the book says, but you can come with an insight and introspective way of sharing that information then people will be, I think, very receptive to you and you'll be very successful in consulting. So what kind of technology, and by that I mean software that you're using is kind of a a day in, day out, must know how to use? I think a given is like Microsoft, especially Teams, on the ones that I've been on, Teams, OneNote, you know, the basics like, you know, Excel and so on. But if you are a power user of Microsoft, you know, whether it's Microsoft BI, if you're a scrum master, if you have those, the exposure to the more technical sides of implementation, I'm thinking Microsoft Project, I'm thinking Microsoft BI, I'm thinking ITIL. I-T-I-L is what they use in the development of customer solutions. It's basic from the technical perspective, but if you know just enough technical to be dangerous with your good sense, then you are a purple unicorn when it comes to change management because you can straddle the fence, right? Between your tech teams, your development teams, your leadership teams, and of course your OCM hat, right? Where you can kind of straddle the fence and pull in when you need, let's say technical or developmental information to make your training sync. But you can also pull in your leadership team and you're like, okay, we've created this thing, but this is going to be a hard change. I need your support when I go out to the client, you know, that type of thing. So you've got to be able to almost be an ambassador. Okay. And is that also required for somebody who would be at the entry level? It's not required, but if you show that, that, that propensity, if you show that leaning into, to lead, you know, I, I call it almost channeling your inner 25 year old where you think, you know, everything, but you haven't, but you've seen some stuff. So you think you're really smart. You need that level of confidence to kind of show up and say, Hey, I don't know everything, but these things I know, I know them really well. How can I serve you? How can I help you? What is the problem? And you being able to really show up in a place of not blowing, you know, smoke up there, but really, truly confident and being agile, if that makes sense. Yes. Now, you also mentioned an acronym, OCM. What is that? Mm -hmm. Organizational Change Management. Oh, okay. Got it. Yes. No, no, that's okay. Okay. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Right, so prior to joining KPMG in January of 2019, you had worked at Deloitte and Accenture. Yes. And you spent the most time at Accenture. You were there about six years. Yes. And I want to talk with you, Patrice, about your first role when you started there, mm-hmm. which was human performance specialist. Yes. What is a human performance specialist? And what type of job function is that? Training, 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 and training. So human performance is very much precursory, if you call it that, to coming into change management, right? Meaning before you understand how the change needs to happen and what that change is, it's understanding what the people or the audience's needs are. And the human performance specialist, I started out as a consultant. I was at a local, well, a global tech company in the Bay Area. I lived in the Bay Area at the time. And so they were implementing a new payment system. So who were the customers that would be using this new system? 
who were the developers that were creating this system, who was the leadership that was paying for this system and how did they want it to work and getting into what that looked like. So I became the training manager after, you know, a few months of kind of learning the rope, so to speak, of what, who needs to talk to who, what needs to happen and when it needs to happen. So again, it was the human side of change, but it wasn't officially change management. It was just, hey, we have this new widget. You guys need to learn it. But of course, understanding what that needed to look like. So it's precursory to OCM. How did you get into this particular area of specialization? Being a teacher, if you can believe it. So I started out as a teacher. I've always loved to teach. My dad's been a teacher for years. He's a retired school teacher. He taught math and Spanish. And I've always been that kid that, you know, when we play school, I like being the teacher, not the student, right? So when I was teaching and my children were small, I had seen another mom that I didn't know what she did, but I was intrigued by just how she looked. And I I just asked her one day and I said, Mrs. So-and-so, what do you do for a living? And she goes, oh, I'm an instructional designer. She goes, I'm sure you do it. You know what this is, right? And I was like, no, because it was new to me. This is like 2005, 2006. And so she started to tell me about instructional design curriculum development. And I had no clue what this was. But what I understood from her after that conversation was just, you know, there are times in life where, you know, you just have to move based on the information that's shared. But I was hungry. Right. So, you know, there's the saying, is it by what's the guy that wrote the art? Of, is it the art of war? Is it Zhao, Zhao Ching? Oh, oh, uh, no. I'm butchering his name. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yes. So basically, like the teacher shows up when the student is ready. And I was ready. Right. And she didn't even know it, but she was teaching me. But she was basically saying, you get a curriculum to teach because I was teaching Spanish and business at the time at an elementary school, a local school in Georgia. And she goes, you get the curriculum and you don't like it when you tweak it, when you do more research, when you figure out what it takes to teach your students so that the knowledge sticks and resonates. You know, whether it's chunking that information, whether sometimes it's a video versus a demonstration versus a lecture. And so she walked me through. She goes, you have your bachelor's. So go back to your master's, get your master's in like a year and a half, go and consult. And I was like, well, what is consulting? Because at that time, I only knew consulting was for techie people that were building things, right? Not for teachers. She goes, every company has an HR department that has learning that needs instructional designers. Go get that post haste. So I did it. And when I did that, and I was actually going through the program, one of my guidance counselors said, same thing. She was like, start out with a small firm. You're local to the city. I was living in Atlanta at the time. She goes, go in and learn the bones of consulting and work your way up. She was like, you'll double your salary. If not better, you'll get to fly and see, you know, the world, so to speak, depending on where you specialize and then go from there. And I never looked back. So I got my master's. I got my MBA, which I had just about finished when I talked to the mom at first. I did a second master's in education, organizational psych, got my curriculum development chops sort of going. That was what I did. And that's how I got into consulting because you've got to be able to take like that raw piece of clay, right? You've got to be able to mold it into what that particular client needs. And in being able to do that, it doesn't look the same from one client to the next. It doesn't even look the same within a client as you're moving through different phases, right? So I was able to take that and parlay that into consulting, teaching. Fantastic. Well, I just want to flash back and fill in one gap. Mm-hmm. And that is when you were in college, the way that our listeners are right now, or many yes. are, yes. you got your BA mm-hmm. in interdisciplinary studies in sociology yep. Yep. at Florida Atlantic University. Correct. Correct. 
did you know what you were going to do with that degree, Patrice? Heck no. Look, heck no. (laughs) I had no clue. I had no clue. I had absolutely no clue. I knew that I loved teaching, but in my head, I was like, but that doesn't pay, right? I knew liberal arts was great because it was a great way to kind of see the world. And we were at this precipice, and I'm going to be dating myself, where you had to go to college knowing what your major was. You pick a major, stick with the major. It doesn't matter if you like it, just do it. And that didn't work for me. That forced model in any area has never been a good fit for me, but I've been able to grind it out, which was why I actually graduated from high school in 1990. Didn't finish, started college, didn't finish. I was taking classes, just couldn't get done. And then I actually got finished, if you notice, 2005. So by then I lived a little, I had done real estate, I had done some teaching, I had worked in healthcare. I kind of carved out my own path without even knowing that was what I was doing. But that's one of the reasons why I'm in the the roles I'm in now, both at KPMG and in my coaching, where I tell people my job, at least, is to have an impact on those in the world that want to accelerate that process. So I help people by saying, it's okay not to know what you want to do. It's okay to explore, but here are some things you can do as you're figuring it out. There are some things that you can do personally. There are things you can do professionally. I think consulting is a great way to do that just out of school. I love that. And I love the fact that you actually created your own curriculum Yes. Your own life. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. I didn't know that was what I was doing, but yes. <laughs> so yeah. what was your first job when you graduated, Patrice? And how did you get it? Do you remember? So my first job out of school was teaching and I got it because I had the chops when I said chops, meaning to convince people I can sell people on my abilities. Right. And this is pre like, well, LinkedIn was around, but I would look at different job boards and look to see what they were looking for qualities wise in a teacher. And I would say, well, I can do that. I know how to do this. So I would incorporate that into the questions I'd ask, how I'd talk about my experience and what I could do for them in a very rudimentary way. I also included that in my resume as well. So I could speak the teacher speak. The part that I matured into is what core skills meaning transferable skills did I have that would apply in other areas? Because I was only thinking schools. And then as I matured, it became, well, universities and maybe trade schools, but it still had not left the educational sector. And so it wasn't until I talked to that mom that I explained to you that she was like, you can consult that I realized that, well, wait a minute, HR departments are in any industry, in any area. So then I began to discover without knowing What are the core skills I have from teaching that could be in places like consulting or and in consulting? It could be in healthcare, it could be retail, it could be in tech, it could be wherever. And it kind of just opened the gamut for me, which really made things feel less 2000 foot and more like 100,000 foot. I was like, oh, well, the world is really my oyster. Where do I want to dig in closer? Oh, my goodness. What a great (laughs) example Mm -hmm. of how one conversation, yes, random conversation, yes, can change your life. For sure, for sure, for sure. So you mentioned your side hustle. Yes. Career nomad, you coach corporate women of color to fast track mm-hmm. their careers by effectively navigating and leveraging the dynamics within the white corporate spaces. So 
What do you mean by that, Patrice? So in any given corporate consulting environment, any, 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 I mean, barring none, the decision makers, right? The people that are having those strategic conversations, the people that are making the decisions on who's coming onto the team or who's leaving the team, the people that are making the budgetary decisions, they don't look like me, right? To be honest, they look like you, but they're not female, typically. They just aren't. That's just the way consulting originated, so to speak, with my white males, right? That's where most industries have started. And so what has happened is that in that evolution where now we're making some inroads, for lack of a better word, you know, like myself, like yourself in the industries that we work in, we may fill the spots when it comes to bodies, you know, seats, butts and feet. But the way that we show up to work and the way we do our work does not necessarily look like the people that initiated, if you call it at this process. So there's a gap, right? There's a gap sometimes where the, the wisdom that we may be able to bring to the table, our experiences that we've had to this time. Like I mentioned to you, the relationship building that we have, yes, sure, anybody can build relationships. But I think from a personal experience, the way that I build a relationship with the client is very much influenced by the way I run my home, for example, right? Who's got to go where? What bill needs to be paid? Who's not feeling well? And by the way, this is due next week, you know, type thing. So I bring those skills and experience and expertise to the table so that when I'm talking to my client, I can see that even though I'm telling them about the best practices and deadlines that we need to meet, that, wait a minute, I'm looking at this client, I'm reading their body language, there's something else going on. I don't mean personally necessarily, it just means they're not fully engaged because maybe there's something else going on that I need to take into consideration as you're building out their master schedule. Or maybe they think they only need five people to do this project when it's really the work of 50 people. Or maybe they have 50 people, but I have a team of five and they expect me to drive my five like they're driving their 50. So I need to manage that expectation, right? So just the, the insight that we bring to the table, just the expectations of being able to manage that is something that we bring to the table in the form of soft skills, right? The ability to be able to negotiate, for lack of a better word, what the workplace needs to look like, what the relationship with the client needs to look like to be successful, how to manage your team and that sort of thing is a place where there's not always covered in the job description, for example, when we're filling a requirement. So, But let's get back to the core of this, what Mm -hmm. you initially said, Mm -hmm. the people who are running most corporate Engagements Mm -hmm. are white men, Mm -hmm. and you and your clients are black women. Let's say the majority, the your niche. How do you help them navigate white corporate America? One of the first things that I do with them is ask them, "Well, what have you done? Tell me about yourself." And typically, right, that alignment is, "Oh, I went to this school. I worked for this company. I've done this for this many years." Well, none of that is results. None of that helps you to stand out, right? So I help them to align and to own the results that they have been able to either drive or be a part of. So I ask them, for example, if this were your performance evaluation, what would your supervisor be saying about you? And what would you be saying to either support or refute or build up, so to speak, 
your next role, promotion or raise, whatever it is. That's what you need to speak on your day to day. That's how you need to show up, not only for your clients externally, but your clients internally so that people know what you do. That doesn't come naturally because culturally we've been raised to almost like be small. Don't be braggy. Don't be too much. You know, be ladylike and genteel, which is always like, okay, yes, yes, yes. But sometimes that also means I'm sorry, I don't understand you. Or this is what I bring to the table. This is how I can help you in a more confident, assertive, intentional way, letting people know what you can do. That's just at the top level. I use a framework that's called Addy, which is similar to a learning discipline where I teach them how to align, dream, decide, innovate, and emerge. And that's the framework I take them through as a coaching student of mine so that at the end of the day, they can get to an accelerated pace of how to achieve the goals they want professionally. But I take you through the align, please. What have your biggest takeaways been, Patrice, that could help some of our young listeners of color avoid some of the most common mistakes that a young person makes? in the workplace? So I'm going to not necessarily call them a mistake. I'm going to just call it a lesson. But I think one of the first things is feeling like their voice is not worth being heard. Meaning that, yes, you do need to listen. Absolutely. But ask the questions that you have, you know, jot them down, get to a place where you are comfortable being uncomfortable Also, I would say make fast friends, meaning try to kind of suss out in the room who knows what and who's a good person for what, because it's in building those relationships that you begin to build the bridge of not only knowing who they are, but them getting to know who you are because it's a two-way relationship. Yeah. And these can become your mentors. Absolutely. Or you theirs. You just never know. You just never know. And that's not just for people of color. I think that's for anyone in a new environment, but absolutely doing that. Because sometimes we're so wowed and almost overtaken by the opportunities that we think, oh, I got to get here and just be quiet and just learn and just scribble notes where you really need to probably more interact and let people know, number one, not only what you know in a cocky way, but showing up like, yes, I'm new, but I bring this to the table. How can I serve you? How can we move the needle forward on this goal for the client? Two final T for C questions, Patrice. Mm-hmm. And these are questions I try to ask all my guests. And the first one is, if you could share a time in your professional life when you struggled, maybe you even failed. And mm-hmm. for me, failure is how we learn. Yes. And this is, you know, this is not something to be ashamed of or try to hide. The truth is I have failed many times in my life and I'm incredibly grateful that I've had those experiences. So if you could share a time in your life when you struggled, and the most important point here is if there was a lesson that you learned Mm -hmm. in the process and how you persevered. Yes, yes, yes. I would say my very first year at Accenture, I very much was just explaining. I was wowed by even having the opportunity to work at Accenture. I showed up with one set of ideas on what I thought it took to be successful. And let's say I got there in May and the year ended in September. So that's about what, six months, I think close to a half year. 
I can't add about five months, about five months that I wasn't sure whether they had enough to evaluate me, but they did. And I got my first evaluation and I'm definitely a numbers girl. I got a D in my estimation. Like I was not doing well. I knew that I was still figuring out my way around sort of the water cooler, but I didn't think I had a D. You know, I just, you know, I thought I was treading water, which was okay. Well, when I got that review, that was not the case. And it wasn't a, a personality thing. My manager and I got along, but I just didn't know the ropes. This is my first time at the big four and what their expectations were. So I had a candid conversation with her. I said, okay, well, what do I need to do? So she goes, I'm glad you asked because I knew I needed to do something. And the action oriented side of me was like, you can't just sit around here and you don't want to be caught off guard again. So I got basically a hit list from her. These are the areas that you need to improve on. These are the areas that I'm looking for you to move the needle. These are the types of questions you need to ask. These are the things you need to do. For me, it was a long and hard list, but then I knew I had my marching orders. And by the time the next marking period came around, and even before, because a part of this was checking in periodically, like I did these things. Is there anything I need to improve upon? So I almost was building the plane as I was flying so that by the time I got to my next marking period, there were no surprises other than. I had won awards. I had exceeded their expectations. I had really taken a new level of what I thought was charge of my career. So that expansion is painful and it's unexpected growth spurt. Because like I said, I felt good when I got there. I knew I was treading water, but I didn't almost know how to ask for the help. So I was glad, if you call it that, for that bad review, because that was like the wake up call, like, hey, girl. (laughs) there's something going off the rails here. You better get this together. And I asked the necessary questions. I did the work. I did the check-ins and it paid off in dividends. And that's something that I've taken with me from one place to the next. So something that originally started out as, like you feel like, oh my God, you know, almost embarrassed, but teeth clenched and you're not sure what to do. I kind of released the reins and I asked for help. I released the reins and I checked in. I had those uncomfortable. I did this. I'm not sure if this is right. So asking for support, doing the work, leaning in, you know, to what the unfamiliar looked like, you know, like ignorance was no excuse. Right. So, okay, you don't know. Take a few steps and check if this right. If you need to pivot, pivot, have a good attitude about it. And that was what I've taken. And it's been able to propel me to this point. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Final question. If you could go back to college, go back to FAU and Mm -hmm. do it all over again, Mm -hmm. but based on the wisdom you have right now, Patrice, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give yourself? None. Quicker, sooner, faster was what came to mind, but no, that's my consulting head. No, you need to be gracious to yourself because in wanting to achieve the things you want to achieve, Each of us has a journey to walk and my journey is where it is today because of the journey that I've taken. So you show up a thousand percent whole wherever stage you're at, right? But your wholeness changes. So me in 2000, well, me in 1990 versus me in 2005 versus me in 2021, they're all whole people, but different versions of me, if that makes sense. So I would say stay the course just like you did, you knew something better was always going to happen, but there's a leveling up process. I just didn't have the words for it at the time. So I would say, do it the same way. Enjoy life. Stop being pressured for, oh my God, you have to do this in the next one year. If you can take the time to blend everything, 
where you do not come out less than whole, then do it. But you've got to be whole at each station of life. So I'm going to say be whole. That's my advice. Beautiful. Yes. Patrice is the founder of Career Nomad. Patrice, I want to thank you so much for making time for your black coffee with me today (laughs) and with the T4C community. This has been such a pleasure. Same, same. Thank you so much for having me. I'm your non-traditional purple unicorn. I'm not going to be the one to say, kill yourself, do it right, whatever, whatever. Because one last thing I do want to share with your audience. I'm not your traditional consulting girl, right? I got into consulting after I tried a few things. Other people do consulting and then go into other things. There's no wrong way in, but be gracious to yourself Be open to growth and expansion. Be open to being uncomfortable until you're comfortable. Then when you get comfortable, be ready to expand again. So I hope this was helpful. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any additional questions. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.